0: I'm an independent podcaster, and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: One, two, three, four. Filled with awe and fright. See Jurassic Rite. been in amber light. See Jurassic ride, ride, ride. See Jurassic ride, ride, ride. See Jurassic ride, ride, ride. See Jurassic ride, see Jurassic ride, see Jurassic Park. Hi everyone, welcome to See Jurassic Ride. Right. We're back, baby. <laughs> uh, I'm your host Stephen Ray Morris, and we never really left, but. We're getting excited. If you listen to the season two preseason trailer, you know that episodes are now airing every Friday uh, and we're going to be doing some park experts style interviews, except for the first one. That's a little exception because it's been a year since Jurassic world fallen kingdom was released in theaters. It's pretty wild. So this time last year, I was in London because, if you don't remember, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom was released a few weeks early in the UK because of the World Cup. Uh, (laughs) So I obviously uh, had essentially started see Jurassic right about I would say what was that a year and a half before it um, before Fallen Kingdom came out. I started in May of 2017, and uh, it was kind of like. You know, season one was really kind of a lead up and kind of weaving in topics as it led up to the release of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the fifth film in the Jurassic franchise. Um, but as we come back into season two, uh, you know, the, the bulk of that, you know, I, I don't want to use season two as a lead up to Jurassic World three because it'll be by the time season two ends, we'll still have another six months to go, uh, before the release of, Jurassic World 3 whatever it's called uh whereas um the sort of pentultimate and pentultimate however that goes anyway the the last couple episodes of C, uh C Jurassic Rite season 1 um ended with my month long Jurassic June journey last year which i highly recommend you check out um you know not only does it include my reaction to seeing the film um actually the day before Fallen Kingdom before I was due to go to London um a friend of mine Devin was able to get me into a early screening in LA and I'm so thankful and that was amazing uh but I'm like well I'm not going to not go to London still uh because that's where I went to grad school drop out uh <laughs> uh so anyway so I still had you know I still had an amazing London adventure I got to hang out with Tom Fishenden and Clayton Fearredi And, uh, you know, got to see the film a couple of times over there. Anyway, I won't bore you with the details. Just go check out episode 14 from season one. Um, And yeah, it'll be a good time. Um, I ended up seeing it eight times in theaters that month. I think that month. Because, yeah, the last screening I saw was with Luce Tomlin Brenner, one of my faves and uh, fan favorite uh, on the show. Um, We ended up seeing it together at the Vista. I believe that was my eighth time. And I believe that was in June as well. But yeah. So (laughs) last year was definitely chock-filled with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom adventures. It's funny because I think seeing it that many times in such a short proximity, I obviously loved it when it first came out. I thought it was my favorite Jurassic sequel since the original, or well, my favorite Jurassic sequel I should say it's my favorite drastic movie since the original. Um, But I think in some ways, obviously after seeing it eight times in theaters in the span of a month, I definitely was, was, you know, I I let it breathe a little bit. And so um, even though I've watched it a handful of times since then, it was really nice to kind of kick back and watch it. Uh, Brenna White, AKA Bonnie puns, AKA Beeksels, And I watched it the other night and it just was so enjoyable to kind of really again you know i think a lot of people who work or do podcasts and you know something they like shows movies whatever you know you get kind of used to watching stuff um you know for a purpose or watching it in bits and pieces um and while i was taking i don't know if that picks up copious amounts of notes uh it still was just kind of fun to turn off the lights and just kind of sit on the floor and watch the movie. Uh, so, um, really, uh, that's kind of all the setup. Um, I really want to get into, uh, before we dive in. So Jurassic world fallen kingdom picks up three years after the events of Jurassic world, our protagonist, Claire Deering, as prayed, as played by, as prayed by, uh, praise the Lord for Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, as played by Bryce Dallas Howard. um, Claire has since moved on to wanting to rescue the dinosaurs because in between the events of Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom Mount Sibo Sibo the volcano that is on Isla Nublar has come back to life um which you know is a precedent that has been set before I mean uh, uh you know um in the books and I think in a lot of other media the idea of geothermal power that powers Jurassic Park and the volcano um, are much more prominent fixtures in sort of other media. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. I think when Fallen Kingdom first came out, I think a lot of people were like, whoa, volcano. But if you really think about it, so many so many Jurassic adventures are kind of defined by a few things. And one of them, I think, is natural disasters or natural events. Uh, And, you know, in Jurassic Park, it's a hurricane that kind of sets things into motion along with Nedry, you know, along with life finding a way. I think it it kind of lends itself to the idea of, you know, uh, Malcolm's chaos theory and everything like that. So um, as a setup to save the dinosaurs, dinosaurs, I think I was totally fine with that setup. Um, and in that, in that same amount of time span, uh, Claire and Owen as played by Chris Pratt, Owen and Grady have broken up and now they need to come back together in order to capture blue for some unknown reason, because the, since the government isn't going to save the dinosaurs, um, because the return of Jeff Colbert, museum and Malcolm says, you know, we should just let essentially God uh, and nature take its course. And, you know, nature has selected them again for extinction. So that's kind of where we're at at the beginning of the movie, um, as you see in the beginning of the movie. And Lockwood, uh, Benjamin Lockwood, who was Hammond's, John Hammond's, the creator of Jurassic Park, his former partner has since come out and tried to sort of, I think Fallen Kingdom is a lot to do with redemption and responsibility and consequence, um, as uh, Tom Fisherton has eloquently put it in the past. And so the idea of this secret partner that had a falling out kind of plays into that idea that, uh, you know, maybe they had a falling out or they did have a falling out. But now that Hammond's no longer there, you know, he passed away. Uh, John Hammond passed away, like the character passed away technically after the events of the Lost World Jurassic Park. So, and then now with Jurassic World no longer around, it, to me, it almost seems like maybe this was the ripe, the ripe in the right time for Benjamin Lockwood to sort of come out and say, hey, like, I will help you, Claire, save the dinosaurs. And Sir Benjamin Lockwood, as played by James Cromwell, plays a really interesting broken man in this story. Uh, and just a really interesting performance, kind of, what you'd almost imagine if uh, if Hammond was still around to see, you know, his dream fail again, essentially, because, uh, you know, they talk a lot about Hammond's dreams, uh, uh, or his one dream, I guess, uh, in in this new franchise. So let's start out with things that I loved about Fallen Kingdom. I, I've said it a lot. Uh, <laughs> I've said it a lot, but I really do think this Jurassic movie has a lot of of new things to say um, that haven't really been, you know, that the other sequels haven't really tried to do. I think they've done it in small ways, but I think in, in you know, Jay Bayona and Colin Trevorrow, were really trying to, with this movie, kind of, I, th- I think putting it this way, like when Brennan and I were talking a lot about like, cause we rewatched Jurassic world um, also recently and, It feels like Fallen Kingdom really swings for the fences. I think there's a really go for broke kind of vibe about it that I really love. And I think, um, you know, we're not getting dinosaurs with lasers on their head. But I think I think what's frustrating about Jurassic World in retrospect is it just feels very mushy and, and everything I feel like. Fallen Kingdom feels fresh and exciting. It's a movie that's made for people who love dinosaurs. I think it's the biggest example of that is that in this movie, you know, because in the original Jurassic Park, we get your Brachiosaurus, we get your Parasaurolophus, we get Rexy, we get the Raptors, we get the Dilophosaurus, the Triceratops, uh, Gallimimus, we get all these dinosaurs that kind of stand for particular purposes um, in the dinosaurs episode, the original dinosaurs episode in season one. Luce and I kind of talk about how each dinosaur represents a different, you know, different thing or a different, you know, type of energy or different story motivation. Um, but what I like about Fallen Kingdom is that you get a movie where you have multiple ceratopsians you have the Cenoceratops and you have the triceratops you get a potosaurus you get brachiosaurus i i you know you get the allosaurus and the baryonyx you get multiples of different kinds of dinos and i really like that because it really is for dinosaur nerds we don't we don't need them to particularly stand for things we just like dinosaurs being dinosaurs although i will say if, if we look at the original Jurassic Park as dinosaurs being sort of a metaphor for nature and the, the uncontrollability of nature, um, then I would almost say the dinosaurs in Fallen Kingdom represent man's sins. And there's so much of this movie that really goes to that idea. And again, uh, to pick back up on that idea that, you know, Dr- Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is saying something fresh and exciting, it's that like, You know, a lot. And again, a very mainstream criticism of Jurassic Park movie is that why do people keep making dinosaurs and going back to the island and going around with these creatures? I think this movie in some ways does a lot to address that. I think that we live in a world where science fact is that we've weaponized animals. It's science fact that we've created and genetically modified creatures. It's science fact that we are destroying our planet systematically and, you know, pushing animals out of their homes. I mean, it's the thing when people criticize zoos where it's like, oh, we should just set them back out into the wild. And it's like, it's literally not safe out there for animals. It's safer to be in a zoo than it is to be out in the wild. And so what I really like about Fallen Kingdom is it goes a long way to sort of say like, hey, we are culpable for this. And these dinosaurs that we've brought back... Uh, I mean, sure, letting them die is one way to, to sort of take responsibility for that. And I think the movie does a good job at, I think saying that that is also a choice that is, that is a choice. It's not, it's not completely damning that choice. I think by having Claire Deering at the end choose not to press the button herself, I think goes a long way to just sort of say, Hey, like, we know it's not easy to do this, but maybe that's not the right thing. And so as, you know, as somebody who cares dearly about animal conservation, I love Fallen Kingdom because it really speaks to my heart in those kind of ways. I mean, even just having the nonprofit, save the dinos, all that stuff, just like really, you know, being in San Francisco and the coffee and introducing characters like Zia and Franklin, I think go a long way into just sort of uh, tickling a, ni- uh, a niche kind of interest that I have. Um, but I also think that goes a long way into addressing like, Why, at this point, we're, you know, five Jurassic movies in. And I think they've kind of realized Jurassic world is just about rebooting people's interest in the franchise. But I think fallen kingdom went a long way in sort of justifying why we still want to keep making these movies. People still love dinosaurs. So there's gotta be a reason for why we want to keep making these and why we, why, despite all the dangers, you know, we're constantly working with dangerous animals. People work with pit bulls, people, you know, um, horses, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, it doesn't feel like that's much of a stretch to, want to work with dinosaurs if they're around, you know. Um even if they were brought brought into life, you know, even if the reasons why maybe they're brought back aren't good or whatever. But I think the movie again, yeah, just goes a long way into kind of showing us that range. And what I think is really cool too about this new franchise is that or the, you know, this new trilogy, I think it was very cool and interesting to make Claire and Owen uh care, you know, because in the original Jurassic Park movies, the heroes are along for the ride. They're survivors of a disaster movie or a monster movie. And so they're not responsible for the terror that happens to them. Whereas what I think is so interesting is that Claire Dearing and Owen Grady, especially in this movie, you know, you know, you're the parents of the new order, you know, new world order or whatever. Like, you know, they worked at Jurassic world and you know, her as upper management and him as the Raptor uh, you know, trainer, you know, two things that are very real jobs, you know, uh, sort of seeing their role and their consequence, you know, in kind of taking ownership of their role in that, you know, if anything, you know, I know a lot of people were disappointed by, um, Malcolm's return because he's not so much a character. He's more of kind of a poetic mouthpiece, taking, taking lyrics and lines directly from Crichton's original novel and sort of becoming this framing, this kind of poetic framing device for how to sort of think about this movie. Uh, but what I kind of, to me, the character tidbit that I could really dig into is I like the idea that after all this time, after the original Jurassic Park, Malcolm losing his reputation and then going on this adventure to, to, you know, in his mind, save Dr. Sarah Harding, his girlfriend, AKA Julian Moore um, and Kelly, you know, because she stows along the way, his daughter. Um, And then, and then to sort of, because, because in Jurassic Park three and Jurassic world, you get the sense that he is actively working again. You know, he's writing books. You actually see his book in Jurassic world, Zara's reading it and then uh, somebody else is reading it on the train you get the sense that uh, you know again Malcolm is the character to say I told you so but I also get the sense that he is recognizing he can play a role um, and whether that is to say, hey, we should let the dinosaurs die or or to actively criticize them, he is still taking a responsibility. Whereas like, you know, you get the sense that after Jurassic Park, like, you know, when you catch up with Grant in Jurassic Park three, it's like he wants nothing to do with it. You know, it's a nightmare that he never wants to live again. Whereas I feel like what I like about Fallen Kingdom Malcolm is that he is kind of reached a kind of stewardship kind of phase where it's like he's not going to endorse it but he said he knows that he can provide some interesting context that might help people make decisions about what to do so that to me all of that stuff just gets better and better every time i watch it it's just the stuff that i love um it doesn't hurt that fallen kingdom also introduced two of my favorite dinosaurs since i was a kid into this movie what that's crazy uh like for a movie to introduce not one but two dinosaurs that i've loved that like my top five dinos have been the same since i was a kid that has remained unchanged uh my whole life and so to have stiggy Mullock and to have carnotaurus pop back in here and have pretty cool roles you know the carnotaurus has uh, you know gets attacked or attacks and gets attacked um and then. Uh, Stiggy Moloch gets this great little breakout moment, (laughs) literally, um, in the movie. So all that stuff for me was super exciting. Um, I'm just looking at my notes right now. Um, let's see. I I mean, there's just so much to talk about and yeah, I don't think I'm going to go note by note. Uh, I think a lot of people would say that the opening scene, um, Of Fallen Kingdom, which I actually saw, I think, 10 or 11 times because at the JP25 anniversary, um, they showed the opening in its sort of entirety. And I think, yeah, I think most people agree. And I also agree that it definitely is. It might be my favorite or obviously maybe not my favorite, but second favorite opening of all time in a Jurassic movie. Uh, it's just, it's the rain and Rexy and humans on the run. It's just as very classic Jurassic, if I want to use that phrase. Um, and it's interesting. Brenna pointed out the sort of outfits and the, of the submarine guys and, uh, even some of the shots kind of mimic, uh, moments of alien aliens and Titanic. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I hadn't really noticed that before. Um, oh yeah. We were again, t- like Jay Bayona, who, you know, from the orphanage and the impossible definitely brings a stylish flair to fallen kingdom that I think was appropriate given that, you know, most of the movie has more of that haunted house kind of vibe with the Indoraptor in the second half, uh, you know, Oscar Fuera doing the, the cinematography, um, I really do think of Fallen Kingdom as Jurassic World's goth older sister. She's just a lot cooler, more romantic, and kind of really willing to swing for the fences um, in ways that, you know, some of the script is a little clunkier as, for, as far as dialogue goes and stuff. But I just think it's funnier. I think it's sweeter. I think it it feels more deeply Whereas I think Jurassic World is a much more masculine movie, kind of obsessed with process, um, and uh, but I think in many ways Fallen Kingdom just captures a more—it's it, very much in the spirit of '80s movies, you know. Uh, you know, especially with the Macy storyline, um, which I think is really rad as well. Uh, Macy, as played by is- Isabella Sermon, really is the breakout star and the best kid since uh, Lex and Tim Hands down. I I was going to talk about that a little bit later, but I think the idea of having your villain storyline seen through the eyes of a kid, I just think just makes it so much more exciting than a bunch of rote, boring speeches about taking over the world or something like that. I think having it through her eyes and then kind of having that child plot of like the adults not believing the kids and that kind of stuff just really lends itself uh, to a much more... Again, um, you know, in that sense of like when we think about 80s movies of kind of taking kids more seriously or you know what I mean? It's like the kids go like it's it's scary, you know, Uh, and I think uh, Jurassic Park, probably the original one was probably kind of at the tail end, (laughs) tail end, the tail end of that kind of style, the emblem, um, you know, E.T. kind of stuff that Spielberg really forged. Um, you know, in movies like Goonies and stuff, but, um, or, you know, even Stephen King's It, the original. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of jumping around here. Um, I took a lot of notes, you guys. So let's see what stands out. Um, I just wrote blue equals Jesus. Um, oh, oh, I'll go back to, I'll go back to Owen and Claire a bit because I think when Colin Trevorrow was doing Jurassic World, he really wanted to go for this very like, eh, you're a dame and, and I'm a, and I'm a man. And it's just this very like, I think he was going for this very like forties, uh, I was going to say forties sexist vibes, but you know, it's just very like antagonistic kind of relationship where, because originally I was kind of annoyed at the beginning of Fallen Kingdom because, uh, I, I don't like this idea that we have our characters together at the end of the movie, you know, uh, gotta stay together for survival, and then the moment we jump into Fallen Kingdom, they're broken up. But watching the movie a lot more uh, and kind of re-watching it, I realize it makes sense that they're broken up at the beginning of the movie because her duty called one way and his duty called elsewhere, and I think that, I mean, again, it's in all these movies, General Leia, like, Uh, Black Widow it's like they're like we've got a job to do while the men run away scared that they can't live up to their potential or whatever bullshit Uh, it's not that Claire and Owen weren't meant for each other it's that like they literally just had a point where they diverged but I but I just love Owen has so much more respect for Claire in this movie Um, I mean he should have respected her from the beginning but you know just the way that Trevorrow wrote it. But um, it I, I just like their dynamic a lot more. I think he, Owen in this movie is much more willing to just sort of do whatever, do what Claire asks with that question. He trusts her. And I think to me, that just makes this dynamic a lot more interesting and not like tense for no reason I don't know to me I don't like that idea where the main characters hate each other and bicker at each other and I think that's a part of why Jurassic World to me isn't as fun to watch Um, yeah it doesn't you know it's that their definitions of survival were different and differed but then this kind of mutual purpose has brought them back together Um, you know and it's interesting uh, because I think and again as far as things that don't hold up or things that You know, uh, there's just a lot of moving parts to the beginning of Fallen Kingdom that I think feel kind of rushed. And I I can totally understand people wanting that to have had a little bit more breathing room or to feel a little bit more difficult. Like maybe Owen refuses the call for longer. Maybe it takes longer. Maybe there should have been a scene where Claire doesn't necessarily, you know, because in the movie, it's like they they refuse to save the dinos. And then Claire immediately gets a call about Lockwood wanting to see her. And so I understand that stuff, but I, I really think it was just a lot of, you, you just need to get on the road kind of, so to speak. And I, I don't feel like any of it was earned because again, when Claire leaves the bar, it's like she knows that Owen's going to go and and help her. So it's not an issue. There's not this, te- there's n- there doesn't need to be this tension of like, will he or will he not show up? Like, all he has to do is watch the cute um baby Raptor squad uh, video and be like yeah you're right of course why would i refuse this call uh, <laughs> um fun fact that the raptor squad baby squad uh on vid- you know quick time videos isn't the first time that they've had flashbacks in the jurassic franchise jurassic park 3 is the first one to have that honor with the uh video footage um on um uh, ben hildebrand's camera um, but I think having flashbacks via video diaries and stuff, I think is feels very Jurassic Park to me. And I, I kind of love that. Um, I mean, again, I'm always hoping there's a Jurassic Park video game called Trespasser. It was set after the events of the Lost World and they recorded tons of dialogue from, from tons of di- like audio diaries from Sir Richard Attenborough, as John Hammond, Emily Carmichael. Colin Trevorrow, you know, Colin's coming back for Jurassic World 3. Emily Carmichael is co-writing the movie with Trevorrow. Y'all need to find a way to use those, um, those tapes because it would be so cool to hear, like, uh, I don't know, Macy or somebody discover them. Which actually brings me to one of my favorite moments in Fallen Kingdom where really – and something I'm hoping to answer in, you know, season two proper because if if these Jurassic movies are supposed to be a – Saga. If this is supposed to be six movies, it's leading to somewhere. What does it all mean? Um, One of my favorite moments for kind of establishing that connection and that continuity is when Claire is waiting in Lockwood's Manor in his mansion and she sees his John Hammond's portrait. I just think that's just such a beautiful moment. And again, I think pays nods to the original movies, but sort of creating a tapestry that feels kind of fresh and on its own and is not just kind of empty nostalgia. It's sort of just showing that this is that time has passed, you know, which is why for me, I love the opening of Vaughn kingdom because I love the idea that, I mean, we've never seen a dinosaur, you know, a villain, the Indominus Rex, and then we get to see its bones. And then the idea that it's rib is kind of carried on rib, huh? Adam and Eve, what's happening. Um, that, that idea that it carries on, I, I think, Uh, Fallen Kingdom is a lot about legacy. I mean, there's so much of Hammond and Hammond's dream and all that stuff explored throughout the movie. So it's but it's those little connective tissues that feel smart and interesting and not just sort of carry over from, you know, just carrying over just because I think it all kind of gives it a purpose, which is funny, because one of the thoughts that I keep having all the time that I, I I. I don't necessarily wish this would happen, but you could see a world where Jurassic world itself, that that film didn't necessarily need to exist. Mount Cyborg, you know, screen, you know, screenwriter wise, story wise could have come back to life at any time. And you could have still had saving the dinosaurs from the island plot. Um, that could have been the thing that kicked off this new franchise. Obviously we needed Jurassic world to uh, establish the Indominus Rex blue And the characters of Claire and Owen. Uh, But, you know, they could have maybe Claire and Owen could have been who they are now. But, uh, you know, there are ways around it and stuff. And then so then you have a movie where the first movie is about saving the dinosaurs, ends with the explosion on Mount Saibo. And, you know, as they're heading to wherever, you know, you have those cliffhangers of like blue and and stuff like that. But who knows? Maybe. When it comes to Blue, it's almost like I, – I, I wrote in my notes that Blue is the Bucky Barnes of the Jurassic franchise where – I mean, Blue is great in Jurassic World and I, I love the character they've created for her. But obviously, Fallen Kingdom goes a long way to sort of catching you up to speed and why you should care about Blue. Um, but I think it works. I think it's successful. I think you really – feel that relationship. And in some ways it makes Jurassic world better going back and watching it, knowing how much, uh, Owen cares about her, I think really helps make kind of solidifies that narrative. What's the right word for it? It's tender. That sort of tender angle that I think, uh, I really liked, uh, from this movie, you know, just, I mean, just that we get in the middle of this movie, these scenes of Macy watching these videos, And this I mean, to me, again, you know, if I'm jumping from favorite scene to favorite scene, blue surgery and the intercutting between the surgery and the baby blue, I think hands down is some of the most effective storytelling in the franchise and is easily one of my top five moments, I think. And I've said a lot that Fallen Kingdom and and I still think this one year later, Fallen Kingdom is a movie where the dinosaurs you know, sweat, they cry, they laugh, they shed tears. Blue shedding a tear just destroys me every time. Jurassic Park is obviously a classic because it it was the first time dinosaurs were real animals to us. They were beautiful. They were big. They were small. They were scary. They were animals, but they were also larger than life. And they were, like I said before, like as a metaphor for nature and all this stuff, um, but what I like about Fallen Kingdom, and again, as far as saying that, like, that's what the the original Jurassic Park is incredible, and it laid this groundwork, and I feel like these other sequels have been grappling with this notion: are are, uh, you know, are the dinosaurs animals? Are they monsters? Are they both? But I think Fallen Kingdom, it's kind of saying they're everything in between. That it almost doesn't really matter that they are these genetically modified creatures. They're still alive, like me. Um, and um, and and in some ways, I think sort of in keeping with the times and sort of our modern blockbuster landscape with Marvel movies and the new Star Wars and stuff, the dinosaurs. I, I don't think we can just make Jurassic Park a walking with dinosaurs kind of thing. What I like about Fallen Kingdom is that they gave the dinosaurs personalities. And for me, as a, as the co-host of the percast, um, as a pet owner, as somebody who loves animals, a thing that I say a lot on the, the a thing that Sarah and I say a lot on the percast is that, you know, animals, aren't people but you know animals aren't people but they are individuals and so to me i love stiggy and is kind of you know his or her actually not sure if stiggy is his or doesn't really matter but um i like their inquisitiveness and kind of dumb uh curiosity and stuff like that i love blue's kind of cat-like nature this kind of like fierce disregard but kind of love when it counts um I love Rexy's kind of stoic, um, Beyonce-esque kind of, um, diva kind of a, uh, of a <laughs> diva in a good way. Obviously love Mariah Carey, um, kind of nature, you know, I, to me, that's what is making these dinosaurs so memorable, you know, and I think you know i i don't want you know blue to be like hello oh and i love you you know but i i think for me i guess you know in in sort of positioning stuff in this way i i'm hoping to maybe alleviate some some fears and in some you know maybe providing some new context for people who maybe were into fallen kingdom as much uh you know um I obviously am recording this after Pod X, um, which was such an amazing, lovely festival. Everyone who runs it are incredible. And I got to meet so many cool people. And I did a live SJR with Drew from Sleep With Me, um, which you will be hearing later in uh, this little preseason. Uh, it was super awesome. And I basically spent the whole weekend trying to tell people why Fallen Kingdom is awesome. Um, not trying. I was accomplishing. No, um, but anyway, let's get back to the movie. Um, see, I wrote, I love Claire's uh, ugly laugh and I love her ugly. Hey, "Hey!" like, you know, she doesn't have to be uh, again, you know, we can, we can do a whole episode on sort of Claire's, the representation of Claire in the film's but I love characters that don't need to be liked all the time. And I think Claire is one of them. I I think she can, you know, I like that she has been equally feminine and masculine. I like that she kind of crosses the line into both and she gets to just be her own person. Um, and if you've read The Evolution of Claire by Tess Sharp, uh, I did a nice interview with her back in the day. Um, for people who maybe didn't like Claire's, uh, character in Jurassic world. I think fallen kingdom along with, if you read evolution of Claire, I think kind of explain this idea or, or kind of give us a little bit more room to see her journey of somebody who sort of became corrupted by the process and the system. So then now her, her, how she is in fallen kingdom is that again, like keying into that redemption arc um, and all that good stuff. Um, also, what I love about the evolution of Claire, and again, this little bit of lore building stuff, was that when Claire was a kid, she saw the uh, Rex rampaging in San Diego on the news. So I just almost love that idea that as a kid, she saw, you know, Rexy, not Rexy, but uh, the male T-Rex in Lost World rampaging through San Diego, and then maybe saw Ham- John Hammond's CNN interview and stuff like that, and the boat being taken back to Isla Sorna. So I just I love thinking about that. Um, so, Ooh, so it's interesting. And one of those things that who knows if, who knows if dress, you know, who knows what will happen in Jurassic world three. I don't really want to use this epi- episode to speculate too much, but I think a really, a couple big questions are, um, you know, as we get into, the territory of, you know, finding out that Macy is a clone, which was set up in the original Jurassic Park. I mean, we literally have Hammond cloning himself on screen for our characters. And so that notion of cloning is very much in the world of Michael Crichton and uh, Clayton, Fior- F- Clayton Fioriti and I have a great convo. Again, you'll hear we we uh, had a really nice talk um you know, that fallen kingdom really does bring in a lot of more cretiny concepts. So if you're a fan of the books, I feel like you'll love, you'll, you'll, or if you read the books, I think you'll gain an appreciation for that stuff that's introduced and the idea of cloning humans and sort of creating that connection to the dinosaur world through being born from the same kind of technology. I think a lot of that stuff is interesting and, and also just goes again into more ways to sort of create empathy. Um, because again, it's getting this, a mainstream audience to care about dinosaurs, you know, and getting to care about them on a, on on a level that you would as if, you know, it's the endangered species or something like that, or with anything, getting anybody to care about anything. It's, it's that idea of like, why should we care about this stuff? That's not in our immediate bubble because it's just good for humanity. It's good for our soul and stuff like that. And, um, I think having Macy be a clone, I think was such a smart, stylish, uh, cool uh, way to sort of introduce another kind of science fiction element to this series. Um, and it's been kind of there from the beginning. So, which I, I really liked. Um, and so that goes into, again, a lot of people want to know who was OG Macy, um, who you know, the original Macy. When did she die? When Lockwood says she would have saved them all uh, in the movie. It's such an evocative, epic moment as, Owen and Claire and Zia and Franklin go to Isla Nublar you know these epic over the head shots I mean just cinematically Oscar Fuera like not only does he shine in the haunted house stuff but I mean those shots of Nublar like we never got anything like that in the original Jurassic World now it just sounds like I'm shitting on Jurassic World but I think as of this recording I think I'm gonna go say that I'm gonna you're going to hear me rank them right now number one jurassic park number two fallen kingdom number three the lost world number four jp3 and number five jurassic world i think that's my order i think jurassic world was important i you know to re you know reestablishing this franchise and i love a lot of the elements that it introduced but uh yeah i think for me it's the the least satisfying as of right as of this recording um but anyway, so so when did when did Lockwood and Hammond break up? Who was OG Macy? What's her role? Uh, is that going to be stuff? Is you know is that something we're going to see explored in Jurassic World Three? I don't know. Um, I always had an idea that if we ever, I mean, if we went back in time and did a prequel showing the adventures of OG Macy, uh, depending on how old she was when she died and if she really died in a car accident, I could totally see Sophie Turner. Or if we want to have her be older. And have some sort of, or maybe, what if OG Macy never died and she shows up in Jurassic World Three as a villain? Oh my god, could you imagine that? And she'd be played by Jessica Chastain, and then you could do those kind of hilarious jokes on social media where Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain are always—I uh, feel like they—they—they they, they have a good sense of humor about people confusing them because they, you know, of them looking similar and stuff. So you could have tons of fun there. Um, <laughs> um, we got your back, brother uh, Wheatley. Uh, is such a great villain and he's really fun to hate, um, which I think is what you need. You need villains that are fun to hate, I think, in these kinds of movies. I, I Because you have other characters like uh, Dr. Henry Wu who, you know, they, they've really taken a lot of his dialogue from the, the books, you know, the original book and really given it a kind of flair that I feel you know, he's sort of descending into madness over the course of these movies and I'm so curious to see if you know where he's at in Jurassic world three, I mean, I really want to start a, uh, I really want to start a thing that if anybody gives you shit, if anybody's like, Hey, why are you late? Or why isn't this turned in on time? Or like, why did you do this? All you have to do is just look them in the eye and say, do you understand the complexity of creating a new life form? So that's all you have to do. And you're excused. Um, I really think that's, uh, that's what you should do. Um, and i think he'll be get off scot free. um now i'm just kind of running through my notes right now just to keep things moving. um you know, I, eli mills is a great villain too. uh he's more of the ted bundy of the movie where he's a sweet you uh, know sweet oh god. uh he's a he's a swarmy sociopath who uh you know, you just love to see he's just got that shitting grin and i think uh, I think, uh, uh, he plays it really well. The actor Rafe Spall, um, plays that really well. I mean, the scene where he yells at Macy, like he loses cool, yells at Macy and then recomposes himself is, um, really fantastic. And I think shows his true colors really well. Um, and yeah, uh, oh, it's so funny. I, I had this thought I'm jumping all around here, but, um, one of my favorite scenes that I think is really underrated is Claire and Franklin in the bunker on Isla Nublar when the Baryonyx attacks them. I think it's a cool scene, but I think it kind of gets overshadowed by the spectacle of the volcano and the stampede and everything uh, after it. But I think it's a really it's just a very moody Jurassic-y kind of scene. Uh, Whatever that means. I just like this idea of the underground and it. It made me think originally when we first started seeing that stuff that maybe they were going to do the sort of underground nest stuff from the book where they discover a bunch of raptors underground through night vision goggles. And it's really creepy. Um, And it was funny. I was like, I kept wondering, like, why did they choose the baryonyx as the underground dinosaur to attack them? And I was thinking, and then I realized, well, baryonyx is like a crocodile-like dinosaur. So I'm like, do they kind of choose it as an homage or an allusion to the idea of like in New York when they flush crocodiles down in the sewers and stuff? And I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's what that was. And if it is, even if they didn't intend that, I think that maybe there's a subconscious thing going on and it makes me like it all the much more. Um Let's see. Got all my notes. Look, I don't need to tell you again, the death of the Brachiosaurus. The idea that the Brachiosaurus is the first full sort of view, you know, the, the, again, that representation of awe and wonder, which it's still my favorite scene in the entire, not only in Jurassic Park, but in the entire franchise. When um, Grant and Sattler, Um, you know, see the Brachiosaurus and Malcolm see the Brachiosaurus for the first time. Uh, It's still a scene that makes me cry. And, you know, showing the, it's just, I never thought in my lifetime, I would go into a movie theater with people who aren't, you know, hardcore Jurassic nerds and see them crying at the death of a Brachiosaurus. Like, bravo, Bayona, bravo. Like, I don't know. That just, it's sad and it's so heartbreaking, but I think I mean, that's what good cinema is made of, you know, you're supposed to feel you're feeling something for a digital creature. I just think as somebody who grew up obsessed with Lord of the Rings and the extended editions, the kind of path that they paved, um, you know, that they pick. I mean, it's really just this baton that's getting passed and picked up and, you know, from Jurassic Park, Lord of the Rings, like um, stuff like that. I just think that it's 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 peak cinema as far as I'm concerned, you know, and to feel that way um, is really something beautiful. And it's it's very sad, Uh,
2: but I think it's really well done. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, we're back.
0: And as I, Not that I set you guys up for a break, but uh, I just took a moment to look at my notes again. And there's just a few other things I want to talk about. Um, Again, uh, you know, as far as this retrospective grows and glows and goes, um, you know, I'm going to take a deep dive into Fallen Kingdom later in season two. But, you know, on the one year anniversary of the release of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, um... Well, I guess it was the UK's release. So we're going to spend all Jurassic June talking about Fallen Kingdom again and how it's evolved. And uh, in the mini-sode, um, I want to hear your thoughts about Fallen Kingdom and whether or not it held up or, or you know, got worse or got better. Or, if, you know, maybe you liked it then, but you don't like it anymore. Or if you didn't like it, has it changed for you? Um, I'm really curious to see, um, you know, I'm really curious to see how your opinion has Uh, you know, shaped since the release. Um, I've already gotten a few emails and voicemails and stuff. So uh, I really appreciate everyone so far who's called in and stuff. Um, Yeah. So I, and again, I'm just going to read the phone number. Let's see. Here we go. So I really want to hear from you, your thoughts on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom one year later, uh, three, two, three, six, eight, eight, six, nine, six, nine, leave me a voicemail or email. See gmail.com. I'd really love to hear your thoughts of how your opinions have evolved. Um, and I'll play them and read them on the mini sode at the end of the month. So, um, let, let's get back into some more thoughts. Um, y- a lot of people have pointed out the sort of metaphors of, you know, Macy's the princess in her castle and the Indo is the dragon. I love all that stuff. Um, I mean, props to Michael Giacchino. It's funny. I, I don't think I was that into the Fallen Kingdom score when it first came out. I feel like the first few screenings, I wasn't really... It just kind of didn't it didn't soar for me. But then it's just now every time. I mean, one of my favorite moments is the indo Raptor climbing on the rooftop I mean, it's just, there's, we've never seen anything like that in a, in a Jurassic Park movie. And, you know, as much as I understand, because I think I've always been that sort of contrarian that sort of been like, it's more science fiction, the idea of bringing dinosaurs back than the idea of making dinosaurs weapons. But I I think I rewatching Fallen Kingdom, I think if the one biggest thing that has evolved for me as far as evolved, as far as my opinions on Fallen Kingdom, I, I really do kind of see how tired the weaponized dinosaurs idea is. Because I think that there's just there's kind of nowhere to go with it. I like the Indoraptor, but I think in a weird way um, as I look over and I see my giant uh, um, Indominus Rex figure, the Mattel one which is beautiful and fantastic um, that kind of, there's really nowhere to go with that idea. It's it's just the Indominus Rex uh, who has become I feel like a fan favorite uh, but same thing with the Interruptor. They're, they're just so ill defined and I think that I think as Jurassic Park fans and as Dinosaurs f- fans I just think we want I, you know, it's that thing, we don't need hybrids and stuff. And I, I can just see how it's kind of... I just don't think there's anywhere to go with it. I mean, at that point, you might as well put lasers on dinosaurs. And I, I'd be all fine with that, but I think it's almost... I think that there are other ways to explore. So even though it is realistic in that sense that they would be used as weapons, I think, um, I, I think it's just getting harder and harder to sort of justify it as a continuing concept. But... I think Fallen Kingdom does do the Indoraptor good um, with moments like that. And again, throughout the movie, I think there's just a lot of great moments where not only bringing in like peak dinosaur moments from that haven't been in the Jurassic franchise, peak dinosaur moments from when you're a kid. I mean, you have Macy at the beginning playing dinosaur. She's got a little dinosaur tail on. Uh, She probably, and I think there was some either deleted scene or a deleted moment, like deleted moment. She has a little T-Rex toy. Um, You know, as a kid, I would run around the playground pretending to be a dinosaur, pretending to be in Jurassic Park. Um, Lockwood's Manor looking like a natural history museum. Uh, The idea that when Macy's scared, she goes and hides under the covers. It's like that's the kind of stuff that really, again, feels like as a lifelong dinosaur fan, it feels like Bayona was able to infuse this with um, with actually childlike wonder and fairy tale logic in ways that, again, I understand some people might not have liked, but I think to me, to me, that stuff feels, that's the stuff that gets better every time I watch it. I'm just finding more and more connections that to me are very rewarding. Little dioramas and play sets. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Lost World has them too. It's, you know, has got the Jurassic uh, Park San Diego diorama and stuff. I just love that kind of stuff. So, I love that that Lockwood has a model of Jurassic Park, of the original Jurassic Park in his bedroom. Um, and then also the Sanctuary Island, which I at first thought was a nod to the Great Valley in The Land Before Time, um, which I think would be a really funny reference. Um, turning the pages. Um, Do-do-do. Clone reveal. Dinos as characters. It's a sock drawer in there. Um, I love I love Zia and Franklin, uh, Zia as played by Daniela Pineda and uh, Justice. Uh, Franklin as played by Justice Smith. Um, they really kind of infuse, you know, they they kind of carry over that millennial energy that Jake Johnson, uh, brought to his role as Lowry uh, and Lauren Lapkus, um, you know, to their roles in Jurassic World, but in like a much bigger way. But what I really wanted to say about it, I mean, besides really liking their characters, frankly, frankly, Franklin, um, but I do, in retrospect, wish there would have been more of Zia in Fallen Kingdom. I think, you know, it makes sense that the characters kind of fall out of the narrative as we focus on Macy and focus on Claire and Owen in Lockwood's Manor Mansion. Um, I keep jumping back and forth between those two. Um, it is kind of disappointing that that then we also get less of Zia on the Island as well too, because she's captured with blue. And so um, I don't know what I would, I don't know if I would change anything, but um I've had this growing anxiety as we start getting closer and closer to Jurassic world three announcements, you know, closer to the end of the year. I really want them to come back. Even if I don't, if even if I'm not really sure how important they would be to maybe this overall larger story, I just love their performances and, they just brought a cool kind of vibe to Jurassic that we've kind of never had. I mean, really like since Malcolm, you know, um, that I think kind of holds up. And I think, you know, when we rewatch fallen kingdom, I think those performances from, from Daniela and justice just get better and better. Um, and also Daniela Pineda is a, not only is she a last podcast on the left fan, but she's also my favorite murder fan. And she mentioned listening to MFM on the set of fallen kingdom. So I can die happy now. Um, uh, Oh, uh, speaking of other fun things, uh, I wrote Indos death is clutch. Um, Very romantic. And then Brenna mentioned, uh, you know, Owen says, be careful, but instead, you know, Owen should have joked in that moment saying, be careful. Um, and we might as well get to that. I think we should just jump right to this last scene because to me, I think it's, it's not the last scene, but the kind of last couple, you know, chunks, I guess. Um, I, as I said at the beginning, I think it's really important that Claire isn't the one to press the button. I think. I think that would have been frustrating because it would have felt like Claire hadn't learned anything. So even if it would be the right thing for her to press the button, which I think it would be, I think it's the right decision, but I don't think it would have been the right character choice for her. And and again, I think tying it to Macy and letting her... And again, like letting the kid be the one to sort of make the choice, um, letting Macy make that connection, I think that stuff is really powerful. I think it's really impactful. And it's just beautiful it's it's just such a beautiful moment um and you gotta save the dinosaurs you guys come on look they're dangerous animals but they they don't deserve i don't want to look i'm not going to be the one to be the killer of dinosaurs so sorry uh and honestly those dinosaurs aren't going to do that much damage you know like sure they might hunt a couple of stray hikers in the woods but you got to stay out of the forest anyway um <laughs> uh, great um yeah, I just think that stuff was so well done. And that really gets me to the ending of Fallen Kingdom, which is so po- poetic and it's just very different. I mean, I think Lost World, I think a lot of people have rightly said that Fallen Kingdom definitely has a lot of echoes of the Lost World. But I think it, I, I think it has more to say than just kind of, I mean, if, you know, the Lost World is just sort of saying, you know, these things survive and life will find a way. But I don't think it really, pushes it more. And again, I, I love The Lost World. And in fact, I feel like I've come to appreciate it a lot more over the years. But, um, and in, you know, in the ways that Fallen Kingdom echoes Lost World, I think it does, it does good by them. And I think the end with Malcolm, you know, extrapolating and sort of saying that, like, hey, like, you can't just leave them on an island. Like, to think that just leaving them on the island was going to be the solution, mm-mm, mm-mm. Like that stuff doesn't just—it—it's not the bubble. The whole world is connected, and to show all the dinosaurs, to show these montage of, you know, by land, by sea, by air, um, the dinosaurs all being proliferated around the world, in you know, whether in cages or free, um, with with Michael Giacchino's score and. You know, Jeff Goldblum's voiceover really is the most exciting ending to I would say it's the most exciting ending to a Jurassic Park movie. Um, I still think the original ending is so beautiful and so filled with possibilities and wonder and hope. But God damn it, I'm excited for Jurassic World 3 after the ending uh, of Fallen Kingdom. You know, welcome to like, come on, it's just so kick ass. Um, I will say my one criticism of the ending, though. Um, and something that we're still dealing with as far as like representation and you know as far as dealing with the sort of reality not realities of Hollywood but the sort of shittiness of Hollywood you know this is Claire's journey and these are her adventures but because Chris Pratt is a bigger star there's just times where I kind of especially in Jurassic World but in of, of that starness butting into the narrative where like it just annoys me that that Owen gets like that Owen gets the last shot and not Claire, but um, you know I guess technically Blue gets the last shot, but still it, it that's just that's just one little thing that bu- that still kind of bugs me about the ending that I don't like, um, and you know again for trivia for trivia folks that uh, the neighborhood that Blue is overlooking is the suburbs in E.T. So um, you know. Uh, there's that. <laughs> uh but yeah, that's it. That's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the fifth film in the Jurassic franchise. I just wrote in my my last page of notes, all it has is Blue goes to Hollywood or Blue goes Hollywood. She goes to LA, she starts booking commercials, it's all over for her. So by the time they reunite with uh Clarence Owen and Macy in Jurassic World 3, she's, you know, a total sellout. No, uh <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. And then we get this little post-credit sequence, which is just just it's more of funsies than like a teaser or anything, but just showing the idea that the pteranodons are in Vegas. But as a few of you know, um, Frank Marshall, who has produced all the Jurassic movies, director of Congo, um, he is good buddies with Jimmy Buffett, which is why there's a Margaritaville in Jurassic World. And we get to see the Margaritaville sign again in in um, uh, Fallen Kingdom. I just dropped my pen. Um, apparently, Jimmy Buffett filmed another cameo in Fallen Kingdom, but we never see it. Uh, I've scoured the auction scene because to me, that seems like the only realistic place for a cameo in Fallen Kingdom. But maybe Frank Marshall was just mentioning, just meaning the Jimmy Buffett or just the Margaritaville sign. But who knows? But... I think it's funny that the movie ends in Vegas because, or, you know, the postcard sequences in Vegas because that's where another Margaritaville is. So, um, there's definitely a possibility that in this post apocalyptic world with dinosaurs, uh, that we've got our heroes holed up in Vegas. Um, you know, and then you have a crossover with The Simpsons for Simpsons, Flintstones in Viva Rock, Vegas. And, you know, it's just an exciting adventure from here on out. But, um, that's pretty much it. Those were a lot of my observations. Again, I think Fallen Kingdom is just such an enriching experience every time I watch it. I don't get tired of watching it. I listen to the score as well, just as much as I do the original movie. Um, and it's just a fun movie to talk about. And I think it's just, there's just a lot to chew on. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see when Jurassic World 3 comes out, but I, I think that's my other thing too. I've said with Fallen Kingdom, I just, It's fun to love something and to really just kind of not really kind of there's you don't need to make excuses. You shouldn't have to make excuses for anything you like, really. But it's just nice when I can be very confident and say that I really love Fallen Kingdom and it just keeps growing uh, the more I watch it. So um, but again, I want to know what you think. Um, I want to know how it held up for you. Um, if it held up for you, if, if it's your favorite, if it's your least favorite, um, I'm really curious about all the perspectives. And again, it's that thing of like, this is the stuff that's moving to me, um, because it just hits a lot of notes that are very special and things that I care about. So I think that's also why, um, those are kind of those reasons why I'm really connecting with a lot of that material. Um, so I want to know why you connect with it or why you didn't connect with it. So, um, Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm so excited that this season is kicking off with this little fun preseason. So many great interviews next week is Billy Jensen, true crime journalist, um, and fellow Jurassic buddy. Um, you know, as we've discovered working on, uh, the murder squad together. So I'm super excited. His interview is super fun. He, uh, you know, used to write about toys and stuff a lot back in the day. So, which I had no idea. So it was really fun getting to hear about his Jurassic journey. Um, yeah uh let me know what you guys think subscribe you know rate review give lots of props to Abigail Irvin who uh, did my new cover art my new dinosaurs and feelings uh cover you know the album artwork for the podcast I look at it every day maybe I'll get it tattooed on me who knows but yeah uh follow uh, on all the socials see Jurassic right on Instagram see Jurassic right podcast that's where our Facebook group is um, Pod on Twitter I can't thank you enough everyone for listening and being so supportive again this is super exciting to kick off Jurassic June by making Jurassic Park part of my every every week adventure oh I almost dropped my notebook um, I just love having this in my life every every day, every week um, and I couldn't do it without you so um, until next time um, I got your back brother and You know, welcome to Jurassic World. See ya.